And good morning again, everybody. Good to see everybody out this morning. Good to have you folks that's logging into Facebook Live or on YouTube later on today. Uh, always good to have you with us and want to take the opportunity to invite you and those that may be visiting to uh, be back with us anytime that you can. We'd certainly love to have you as part of our family and let us become part of yours. All right, let's see. Children's Church this morning looks like uh, Patricia and Travis Singleton have that. So uh, 12 and under want to head over for that. And then also, our hymn of invitation will be Room at the Cross, 169. 169, Room at the Cross. Alrighty. Good looking group heading over for that. Okay. Well, uh, kind of odd it seems like it's been a long time since I've been up here just I just missed one Sunday but I do want to thank Ernie for filling in for me and anybody else that, that covered uh, uh, for me on on my duties that I do here uh, Carolyn I enjoyed our little getaway that we had for the weekend went up and watched a little baseball and and I would have to say the uh, the most beneficial part of the trip happened on Sunday for me. I won't speak for Carolyn, but I think she enjoyed it awfully well. Uh, also, as we went over to the Ark Encounter. Now, I don't know if you've been been there. I want to highly recommend that you go if you've not been there. And I'm not going to talk a whole lot about it because if you go, I don't want it to be ruined uh, for you. But uh, And I really couldn't say anything that would ruin it because of just the, the scale and the scope of what you walk through and and I will say this and it's like I was trying to tell a friend uh, I have nothing scale wise that I can compare it to the size of the of the ark we read about it in the in the Bible read the account we can make the calculations on about how long it is but until you're actually standing there uh, looking up at this thing or looking down this thing you have no way to scale it. We don't. Now, if you lived near the ocean that had ports or something, then then you could scale it to ships in the ports. Or if you were a, a Navy veteran, you could probably scale it. But for Kiwi folks, uh, nothing. But one thing that I did and I do want to say is you can't walk onto that property and not realize and understand the truth of God's word at least by the time you leave there, because it, it wipes away all doubt as far as uh, God and his creation, what he talked to Noah about, and what he instructed Noah to do, and then the fact that God enabled Noah and his sons to be able to build that massive ship, that massive ark as well. There's no doubt about truth when you walk on that property. And everything is immersed. And one thing that they did tell us, and, and I'm doing a little commercial here for them, uh, they are currently working on three more attractions adding to the park. They're going to be adding the Tower of Babel, which we know is where the division, separation of men came about. They're also going to be working on Solomon's Temple. And then finally, the last part they're going to do is Jerusalem, so that you will be able, we will be able to experience what Jerusalem was like during the time of Christ. And those are projects that will be completed in the next uh, seven to ten years. So they're continuing to add to the park, and, and it's all biblical. 
and it's something that I would recommend and for folks of any age or any physical ability they have really done a nice job about making it accessible regardless of your physical ability to walk through and to navigate uh, the ark and the other attractions so I give it two thumbs up so it's certainly good truth is what I want to talk about though this morning because as I said when you go to this ark encounter you can't help but be slapped in the face by truth. Winston Churchill made this statement one time about truth. He said, men occasionally stumble on the truth, but most of them pick themselves up and hurry off as if nothing had happened. And oftentimes we may find ourselves relating to that statement as well. And I have a question that I want us to ask ourselves about truth and to be honest with ourselves and maybe at the end of this sermon uh, we'll look at you can yourself look at this question but how much does your soul really matter to you and I want you to think about that how much does your soul does your uh, where you're going to spend eternity matter to you because it all is related to truth because I want us to imagine something like this what if when you came into church people, new people coming into church, we had someone back there at the back greeting them or if it was standard that we published it said, listen, don't worry about uh, if you mismanage your anger, if you lash out at people. Nobody here is going to confront you on that because we really just don't like conflict. Don't worry if you hoard up, hoard up lots of money, have lots of money and never give because we'll never ask you to give. We don't want people to get mad and to leave. Don't worry if you can look at an injustice or see something that's not going to uh, be fair for someone because we won't confront that either. We're really kind of pacifists here. Oh, we might talk occasionally about sin, especially sin that's out there. But nobody here will ask you about your sin because we don't want you to feel bad. We want you to feel good because that's the main thing. When you walk out of this church, we want everybody to feel good about themselves. And we think about that statement, and I say it kind of in jest, but we want ourselves to be wrapped in grace regardless of our actions. We love grace. We love to hear about grace. We love to get books or messages about grace and the danger of that is we can misunderstand grace and start to worship feeling good instead of worshiping Jesus Christ as our Savior and worshiping God. We can worship a feeling. We can desire to have, have a certain feeling when we leave that we didn't have when we came in not related to the Savior, not related to God's grace but related to other things. And that's important for us to remember. Jesus said this in John chapter 1, verse 14. <clears throat> or not Jesus said this. This is written of Jesus. And this is mainly something, a familiar scripture for Christmas. It says, We beheld his glory, the glory of the one and only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. And that was talking about baby Jesus at that time. 
And we need truth in our society. We need truth in our homes. We need truth in our schools and our businesses because truth today is really objective to whoever is speaking it and whatever their platform is. For them, it is their truth. And we have living in a society that continues to evolve to say that it's okay for your truth and my truth not to line up. But the simple fact is there is but one truth and that's the truth of God's word. And truth with love is what the title of this morning's sermon is. Truth with love. Now we're going to read a section of scripture that says truth in love. And I think they go together. In Ephesians chapter 4 verses 14 and 15, Paul writes to the church at Ephesus and he says this. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning, cunning craftiness whereby they lie and wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in him in all things which is the head, even Christ. Now there's the difference. Many times people will speak their truth and it will be without love. And many times people may speak out of love and there be no shred of truth to what they say. But what we have to look at and what we have to strive for is what Paul is telling the church at Ephesus here is that we need to speak the truth with love or in love to those that need to hear it. Because we do a wonderful job all of us, I'm afraid, are guilty of this, of avoiding the truth. We like to avoid the truth. And the words that we've read focuses on Paul, and, and we're going to go on through this a little more, because the church at Ephesus had truth problems. They preferred hearing stuff that made them feel good. And Paul wrote to them uh, and said, and this is me paraphrasing, instead of speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into those who is the head of Christ. That's Christ, and that's what he's saying there. We need people who will speak truth in love because we do have a sin problem in this nation. We have a sin problem in our communities. We have a sin problem in our businesses, in our schools. We have a sin problem in our homes. And that's what I want us to, to think about this morning. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, John writes and says, If we claim that we were without sin, we deceive ourselves. Now, that's fascinating to think about that statement. And he, said, he goes on to say, and the truth is what? The truth is not in us. So if we say that we have no sin, the only person we're deceiving is ourselves. And as long as we hold that, that thought, the truth will never be in us because there's a, a conflict there already. The prophet Obadiah says this in, in chapter one, verse three, says the pride of your heart has deceived you. And then Jeremiah goes on in 17, nine and says the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure, who can understand it? So that's what we're fighting with folks within ourselves. And we must be honest with ourselves and the only way that we can be honest is if we speak the truth to ourselves or have it spoken to us. 
Along those similar lines, Michael Novak, a, a contemporary writer, says, our capacity for self-deception has no known limits. Sin involves being dece deceiving to yourself. And it's kind of sobering when we think about that. Because it's going on inside of us, and not just once in a while, not just daily, but almost constantly. We deceive ourselves. Now, if we look at this in the context outside of sin or outside of what we're talking about here with truth, I deceive myself all the time about my physical abilities of what I can do compared to what I used to be able to do. And yesterday, as David and, and Kevin and, and I were working on a, a little project there at the house, uh, I was reminded of that. My physical abilities are not the same. The circumstances spoke truth, a brutal truth to me that I was trying to, and I have always tried to think that I still can do what I used to do. In the same way, we've trained ourselves to be deceptive to ourselves with truth to the point that we don't even notice it. We don't even notice it, and that's the dynamic of sin. And I'll give you a little example. Let's say, say Mike, uh, has a big house. Nicer, widescreen, high-definition television than I do. And, and honestly, I feel a little bit jealous about what Mike has, but I can't admit that because then that would make me feel bad about myself. So what do I do instead? Well, I start hitting on Mike. I start thinking, well, Mike's not as spiritual as he used to be. He's becoming more materialistic. He isn't concerned for the poor like he should be or like I think he should be. And I think that's gonna separate him from God. So then I add being judgmental to being envious, okay? And we, we rationalize that a lot of times. And I'm beginning to pat myself on the back because I think I'm speaking out of spiritual concern for Mike. But what began all of that? That began all because I was a little jealous of Mike's television, big nice TV. A little jealous of Mike's big, nice house. It all began with me, but I've deceived myself turning that around to be, being Mike's fault. And then it makes me the judge of Mike. It's an easy trap to fall into, common thing for us to do. The Bible, of course, is clear about materialism. And I know that, but I want to remain in my self-deception. So how do I do that? How do I, how can I comfortably remain in a state of being self-deceived. Well, I don't study for one thing. I don't study my Bible, none. I don't think about the fact that children and people die out across the whole world that are preventable diseases and they need money to, to find cures for these things. I don't think about brothers and sisters that I would call Christian brothers and sisters all around this globe that live on a dollar a day. I wouldn't think about that. I, I'd put that kind of stuff to my off away so I can continue in my deception. And without thinking about it, I adopt this perspective and then arrange circumstances around me to enable my sin. Remember, the heart is a deceitful above all things. And we will allow ourselves to do that. And it's kind of like the, the, the contrast. Now, some of you younger people may not even know this movie, and, and uh, us older folks have probably watched it a time or two. A Few Good Men. 
about the Marine Corps base down in Guantanamo. The Marine was killed and they had the colonel on trial and, and the lawyer was standing there, Tom Cruise, and says, I want the truth. And Jack Nicholson says, you can't handle the truth. But what did Jesus say to us about the truth? You shall know the truth and what? The truth shall set you free. And that comes from John chapter 8, verse 32. So now we're going to have to decide if we're going to believe Jesus or we're going to have to decide if we're going to be like what Jack Nicholson says as the colonel, Marine colonel, that we can't handle the truth. And there the conflict is. And there the conflict is. And here's the truth about truth. The truth will indeed set you free, as Christ said, but you know what it will do first? It will make you miserable because you have to confront it. We all have to confront the truth of our lives. And that's not only in a relationship with God, that's everywhere. That's a relationship with your kids, that's a relationship with your wife, your worker, uh, co-workers, your employer. There are truths that we have to confront with them each and every day that we do because we're, we find it necessary. We make ourselves do that to maintain a job, to maintain our marriage, to maintain our relationship with our children. But when it comes to a relationship with God, it's easier to defer that, isn't it? It's easier to defer that truth. We procrastinate. Now listen, we don't ever say never to something good, an opportunity to serve, right? We'll say later. Later. I can't do that right now, but I'll do it later. What if later never comes? What if that opportunity never comes? See, we've procrastinated in avoiding the truth. All in the name of avoiding the truth. We oftentimes, as Jeremiah talked about in chapter 2, verse 32, we forget about God. Rob, I'd never forget about God. Not possible for me to forget about God. 2.32 says this, Can a maid forget her ornaments, or a bride her attire? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. Are you saying you're wiser than God? Because that's what he's saying. Did anybody forget to wear shoes this morning? Walk right out of the house so excited about coming to church you forgot to put your shoes on. Of course not. We all have our shoes. But that's what <clears throat> Jeremiah records the Lord is saying. The things that are most important, we will always remember. Right? It's not going to forget that wedding gown, right? Or jewelry for a young maiden. We're not going to forget our shoes when we step outside because we know it's important that we have them on when we step outside. But sometimes we forget about God. Strategic memory loss. And that's amazing when we think about the dynamics of that as well. Now we probably let ourselves off the hook on this one too, don't we? And here's an example. We'll tell someone we'll do something. Commit to doing something for someone and then something happens we forget and we don't do it and the person's upset. And we tell them that, oh I'm sorry, I just forgot. You can't really be mad at me just because I was absent-minded and forgot to do this for you. 
But yet, if someone invited us or asked us to do something we really want to do, like if someone invited me to go fishing, I would remember that. I wouldn't forget going to on a fishing trip or, hey, I'm going to take you to a ball game. I've got your tickets. All we've got to do is just go. Don't forget. I wouldn't forget. And that's where we begin to continue to fall in this trap about forgetting God. And we don't forget stuff at random. What we do is we remember the things that really matter to us. So what does it mean to forget God? Neil Platinga wrote this, and he's the uh, former president of the Bible College up in Michigan. He says, I go hours, days, weeks at a time, never really thinking about him, never really turn my heart and will over to him, never seriously attending to him, never bring him in sustained focus in my mind. The thought that by doing this that I am wounding the one who loves me, the thought that I am entangled more and more in the sin that brought Jesus to the cross, the thought becomes bearable and then routine. Eventually, I find God doesn't seem to be very real. I find myself not praying all that much. Then the less I pray, the less real God seems. I forget God. I forget sin. So when we're not reminded of our sin, how do we do that? By being in the Word, by hearing the Word. We're not, when we're not reminded of those things, God begins to be a little distant. But whose fault is that? It's not God's fault. He doesn't desire to be distant from me. It's my fault if that happens because I have desired to be distant from God. Not studying, not praying, not having the lines of communication that he did. He gave to us so that we could remain close. And we forget about God. Think about David. David and Bathsheba, remember? How could he forget that he slept with Bathsheba? He killed her husband. How do preachers forget about their own sexual sin? We've seen that in the past with preachers. Preach strong messages about it, and they're engaged in it themselves. Millionaires talking about giving or philanthropy and the importance of caring for those that can't do for themselves, but yet involved in schemes that are frauding, defrauding people out of money. We've seen that happen. So when we look at those types of examples, we can see that, hey, yeah, that does make sense. We can convince ourselves of anything as long as we distance ourselves from something. And we see that going on. We forget. We block out who we are and what we've done and what's been done for us. We block that out of our own consciousness. <clears throat> and if you do that for a day, and you practice a little bit, and then you can do it for a couple of days, and you practice a little more, and you, you block them out for a week, and then a month, and then six months, and then a year, and the next thing you know, you have no real consciousness of God and the relationship that you once had. Because you have worked, and in most cases, it's much harder to remove that than to develop it. 
So we see that we can forget God. We can't stand the thought about the Bible telling us about me and about my sin. Paul says this of himself now. And that's what I want us to understand. Paul, the Apostle Paul says this in Romans chapter 7 verses 18 through 20. He says, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, he's talking about his body, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will do, I do not do. But the evil I will not do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not do, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. He knows very well who's responsible for his own sin in his life, the things that he does. It's himself. He says, I know to do good and I don't do it. And I know not to do bad and I do it. And it's because of the, my flesh. It's because of me. And we have those same struggles. All of us do, whether we want to remit, admit that or not. But we do. And then finally, I want us to think about this. Our need for hearing the truth with love. The truth with love. Ezekiel uh, 33, verse 8. When I say unto the wicked, O wicked man, thou shalt surely die, if thou dost not speak to warn the wicked from his way. That wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require of thine hand. Nevertheless, if thou warn the wicked of his way to turn from it, if he do not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. So we have a responsibility as Christians for the lost and those who are in a relationship with Christ but maybe are in sin. As a Christian, we have a responsibility to speak to them people and encourage them to abandon that if we are aware of it. And that's why we need each other so desperately. That's why attending church is so important. You, we hear the, the music. We, we take part in the worship. We take part in listening to the message. We occasionally have specials that uplift worship. And it makes us feel good to see children coming up knowing that the future of the church is going to be secured in their lives. But we may come in here never realizing it. But when we walk through those doors, we're walking through saying, I am accountable for my actions. And all of you folks that sit in here with me are my accountability partners. But we don't have that kind of relationship, do we? We don't walk up to each other. because, <clears throat> And this is called the, the sin of conniving. Let me give you this definition. Webster says, to connive is involving or involved in conspiring to do something immoral, illegal, or harmful. And the writer goes on and says this, in conniving we can collude with each other. Now we've heard that term a lot, ain't we? Here in past collusion, we collude with each other not to call each other out on our sin. In conniving we help, I'll help you ignore your sin and you help me ignore mine. 
Now, of course, we don't say that in these words. We don't even recognize it. And that's what makes it so powerful. That's what makes it so powerful to be able to walk in and have the freedom in and maybe be under conviction of sin and talk to someone, greet them in the same manner that you would do it every Sunday knowing they've got sin too. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to let you off the hook and not say nothing to you. You just don't say nothing to me and we're all happy and we leave. But that doesn't help us. It doesn't help us to grow, as Paul was writing to the church at Ephesus, in truth, to be more like Christ. It doesn't help us one bit. David, again, he lived for about a year in self-deception of his sin over Bathsheba. Finally, the prophet Nathan came to him and told him the story about the man that, <clears throat> that had one little lamb and a rich man who had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of sheep chose his lamb to have slaughtered and, and to feed to guests. And David was so enraged by this action, he called for that man to be punished severely. And Nathan drops the bomb on David. He says, you are that man. And sometimes we all need a Nathan in our life. that loves me enough to know that I'm involved in something that is going to destroy my eternity, that he comes to me and says, Rob, you are that man. And I want us to think about that. Because we would, we, would, we would be upset and angry with a Nathan, wouldn't we? Well, that's none of your business. My relationship with God is private. You just need to mind your own business and keep your own house in order. I'm sure that you're not without sin. Now, we'll tell people that way, won't we? We'll talk truth then in anger and in defense of our own sin instead of saying, you're right. I am so glad someone finally called me out on this so I can begin to get my life turned around, which is what God desires. More so than us holding on to these things deceiving ourselves. In Galatians, Paul did that. If you remember with Paul and Peter, Peter had kind of went back, starting to require non-Jews to become Jewish before you become a Christian. And Paul went in and said, hey man, that's not what we talked about. That's not what God desires. Of course, that's me paraphrasing. But he came to him and said, what you're doing's not right. We're talking about two preachers. We're talking about Peter and Paul. And they had to go, one had to go to the other to, to say, we got to get this straight. We got to get this lined out so we can move forward in the truth. And he, they did. And certainly, surely none of us believe that we would be above reproach if Peter and Paul had to have a talk. It's hard to think about that, isn't it? Hard to think about calling somebody out on their sin. I'm not talking about me standing up here in the pulpit and pointing down at somebody. And, and that's not what the scriptures tells us to do. It's just not. I would, that wouldn't be out of love, now would it? I wouldn't want to be done that way. Do unto others is what? You would have them do unto you. If you had something to say to me, I'd want you to come to me in private. 
and discuss it with me. Not pulling it out in public and embarrass me on top of identifying that I've got an area that needs to be corrected. We need to think about those. What do we do instead? Last minute, <laughs> instead of naming the issue clearly, we shrink back, get fuzzy out of fear, and we don't say nothing. In Ephesians 4.15, Paul tells us to speak the truth. And this is how we normally do it. We see a destructive pattern in somebody. We get all upset. We get mad. We get worked up. But we never say anything, do we? And we let those things build and build and build and build. And finally the dam bursts. And we enter into the, the ministry of unloading. Anybody ever heard of that? The ministry of unloading. We unload everything from the past out on them right now. It's real popular since the invention of email and social media. People will get on and they'll write an email, they'll make a social media post, and they'll unload on someone over some subject, and it'll be the post will be that long. And it covers everything from 1932 to current day. And we've let that build up. And it's real easy to do when you're not looking eyeball to eyeball to somebody. I'm doing this out of love. Well, if you're doing it out of love, how come you're doing it in public? <laughs> how come you're making these posts so other people can say, yes, I agree with you. Thumbs up, thumbs up, heart, heart, heart. That's not out of love. That's out of the desire to bring the attention to you instead of going to that person who you supposedly love to encourage them to change their behavior. That's the ministry of unloading. I hope we have no ministers here in that field. But it's something that we need to be wary of because it's very counterproductive. It's very counterproductive. We have to ask ourselves, and here's a good thing. For those of you that do a lot of social, and I'm not condemning nothing no more, it's just, it is what it is. But before you hit sin, you ask yourself, would I want Jesus receiving this? Would I want Jesus reading this message I'm about to post? How would he view the message that I'm getting ready to send? And I don't care what platform it's on. And there's several that's available today. Those of you that use email in your work, same thing. When you send an email, when you're upset, you proofread it by thinking Jesus could read this. And think about this, he knows, God knows. It's not like he don't, he invented wireless communication. <laughs> it's called prayer. <laughs> we don't even think about that. He knows. So just think about that, folks. Think about that. <coughs> Jesus and the Holy Spirit, they can enable us to speak the truth in love or truth with love. And it's only at the cross where we, where we remembered this. We remembered that truth. I like what Ernie's scripture was this morning about love. And when we come to this table, it's about truth and it's about love. The truth is my sin required that Jesus Christ die on a cross. And the truth is because he loved me so much he was willing to do that. 
So there's truth with love. And another truth with love is this. If you are here this morning, the truth is that if you are not covered by the blood of Christ, if you're not saved, if you've not heard, believed, repented, and confessed, been baptized, and are living a faithful life, you are lost. You have no hope of an eternity in heaven. You have complete hope, 100% positive, you're going to spend eternity in hell. And that's the truth in love. I'm not... I'm not judging you. I'm just telling you what scripture says. And here's another truth with love. There's some, there's some people either listening or sitting in here right now that are Christians, but they're having a sin problem. They're having a sin problem. And this sermon, just by chance, is the sermon you need to hear this morning so that you can begin to tackle that problem and get rid of it. Get it taken care of and put behind you and you can do that today as well. And I encourage you to do that. You don't have to come to me. I'm not your savior. You have to go to God. You have to repent to him. You're welcome to come down here. We'll offer you all the support in prayer and in love that we have available to give to you. But you need to do that repentance to God to get yourself back in the right relationship with him. Now we're going to sing this hymn of invitation room at the cross for you. And that's what we have to remember. There is always and always will be room at the cross for the repentant person that wants to come and enter into or uh, repair that relationship with God. Always. It's not just on Sunday mornings or Sunday evenings or Wednesdays. It is seven days a week that there's room at the cross for you. And all you have to do is come. And that's what we're inviting you to do as we stand and sing the first and the third verse of this hymn, Room at the Cross 169.